You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 51 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Today we have part one of a special roundtable episode. So I wanted to give you a little background on how this episode all came about. A couple months ago, I was forwarded an email by someone I know, and they were like, Erin, do you have any thoughts on how to help? If you're the dog person in your circle, you probably get emails like this from time to time also. So the original email that was being sent had to do with someone who had recently adopted a third dog that was now, this new dog was getting into bloody, scary dog fights in their house with the two resident dogs. And they wanted to try to rehome the third dog because they felt like they had made a mistake. And I don't want to put anybody on blast because I understand that this is a scary and an emotional situation and and not everybody knows what to do. And as you'll hear in the episode today, my dog mom confession, I have had a dog fight in my house and it was bloody and it was scary. And I feel like I should give a little bit of a trigger warning for this conversation before we get started that, you know, this is a really emotional topic to talk about. And, uh, and one of the first things that we're going to get into is what do you do when there's literally a dog fight in your house? And so I want everybody to be prepared that when we start discussing some of the ways, um, that you might have to break up a situation like this in your house, you know, we're talking about a situation where a dog's life or even, you know, a person's life, uh, could be at stake. And so when we make certain recommendations, please understand that we are not advocating uh, to do this in just like a normal, uh, you know, Thursday, I'm saying that these are situations where, you know, a life may be on the line and you might have to take more extreme measures, but I want to run the gamut of ways that you could break up this kind of situation in case it's something you're ever faced with, which I hope you aren't, but, I think when we talk about it, it probably happens more than people are willing to talk about. I feel like this is a situation people don't love to talk about. And I want to be a source of information and a a resource for the things that are hard to talk about too with being a dog mom. And I have been been personally uh, encountered some of these situations myself. So I hope... uh, I hope that that's enough of of a trigger warning that everybody will understand uh, where we're coming from. But I have a really great panel of of guests for you today. And special thanks to my very, very dear friend, Diana Madison, who who helped me get in touch with the right people to to make this conversation happen. And uh, we have Diana, who is a dog trainer. Uh, You can hear Diana's story on episode 13 of the Believe in Dog podcast. And then we have Nikki Shekels, who is also a dog trainer extraordinaire doing all kinds of amazing agility and frisbee and other things with her dogs that I love seeing the the photos and videos of on Facebook. And then we have Nicole Omar, who is a fabulous, fabulous 
mom to a little human as well as dog mom. And I, Nicole has had, I think it's like 50 foster dogs in and out of her home and 40 foster cats over the past decade. And she's done this all while being a mom. And I think that that's super duper special. And I've also gotten the chance to, to meet her daughter who is just one of the most beautiful, lovely souls. And I just wish there were more children like her out there. So all of us who are on this panel uh, have all been affected by having some kind of scary dog fight situation in our home. And with the exception of me, all of the other women are now currently living uh, with some sort of situation that we call crate and rotate to manage dogs in the home that don't get along. So everybody on the panel is walking the walk in addition to talking the talk. So we're going to talk about what you do when there is a dog fight in your house and what to do after there's a dog fight in your house. And we're going to talk about the type of situations that are most likely to lead to there being some sort of dog fight situation, such as resource guarding. And we talk about one of my favorite, most important things that I think every pet parent should know about reading your dog's body language and the type of body language signs to look for that could indicate that your dog is stressed and could potentially be getting ready to lash out. We talk a lot about the expectations that pet owners have for their dogs and what expectations are reasonable and what expectations are unreasonable and the best way to set your dog up for success. Because we have a couple dog trainers on the panel, I wanted to talk to them about how to choose the right dog trainer, how to get help, when to get help, what responsibilities should be on the pet parent versus the trainer. And then we're going to get into having a management situation such as crate and rotate. What is crate and rotate and what does it look like for the women who are on this panel? And then we're going to talk about, is it ever okay to rehome a dog when you have a dog fight situation? And should that necessarily be the first thing that you do? Or can this be successfully managed long-term? And then we're going to have a part two next week uh, where we're going to talk about more things such as managing your emotions or or what to do when you're out in the world, you know, walking your dog and, and get encountered by a dog that could potentially get into a dog fight type situation. One other thing I did want to mention real quick is that I had put together a little outline of some of the topics I thought that we could talk about on the roundtable. So everybody would have some expectation of, of what to expect when we sat down to record. And we do keep laughing a little bit at Diana because she was jumping all around <laughs> on the handout. So if you hear somebody mention a, like a read ahead or a handout or, or that's further down the list, uh, that's what we're referring to. So you can be in on the joke too. <laughs> so now let's get started. All right. We are here today doing one of our roundtable episodes. I'm very excited. I'm going to go around and let everybody introduce themselves. Uh, Nikki, we'll start with you. Just tell us your name um, and then maybe a little bit about your what you do professionally and uh, about your dogs. Uh, I'm Nikki. I work as a dog trainer. I run my own company, Boomerang Canine. I've been doing that for five years and I was a vet tech before that. I have eight dogs that live at my house um, of varying personalities and breeds. Uh, we do sports like agility and um, frisbee primarily. Yes, I've seen some amazing photos <laughs> <shared> recently. 
like to make my puppy into a unicorn. <laughs> All right, next. Hi, everyone. I'm Di from Snorkel's Way Adaptive Dog Training. I've known Erin for uh, probably too long. <laughs> um, and we started out on the Be More Dog uh, board together. I think like 2009, maybe? Yeah. yeah, it was a while ago. But I, too, am a dog trainer. Um, I own my own business, just like Nikki. And Nikki and I know each other from dog training. And I have three dogs of my own, uh, a pity, a little pity Jack pug, and our newest addition is a uh, Aussie mini American Shepherd. So you heard Di in episode 13 of the Believe in Dog podcast. Yeah, I probably got tongue-tied there, so (laughs) be prepared for that. Um, And uh, Scud just had another commercial debut. She did. She uh, yesterday, yesterday or day before, uh, she was in a commercial for Anvil Restoration and it was like radon testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was radon testing. So she had to wear this uh, hazmat suit, and it was uh, quite a production. And going into these things, and when you're at the day of shooting, you never know what it's going to turn out like because they <laughs> film all kinds of stuff. Um, but. To be honest, it, I was pretty proud of her, and it looked pretty good yeah. on the commercial. So, And I think the last time cool. you were here, you had a secret project you were working on, and we couldn't announce it until later, but that was the Chewy.com oh, commercial. Okay. Yeah, when we went to Florida. <laughs> that was right before the pandemic, so yeah. I remember that. So, God, that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. So, yep. So that's kind of my uh, my gig. And I know Nicole, too. Who you're and my kids' see. personal so. favorite. <laughs> five Below ads. Oh, the oh, Five Below. Yeah. She, she the socks. Yep. Yeah. So, yes, her so. dog is a dog model and actress. Yeah. So, but anyways, there you go. Um, I am Nicole. I am not a dog trainer. Um, I am, I have been fostering for about nine years, and I have two dogs of my own currently and we usually have a variety of puppies running through the house and so they come and go along the way and how many dogs do you think you fostered like in and out total Um, so we did kittens for a while so we're over 50 dogs and 40 kittens I think. And the other thing that's special about the nine years that you've been doing this is how old is your daughter? Oh, yeah. We started when she was about eight months old. And so I really love the fact that you're doing all this with a young child in the house because I know some people get very concerned about about Mm -hmm. that. And yet, you know, so I just really loved that about your story as well. She will tell you all about it. (laughs) And she will let you know what you are doing wrong or right. (laughs) I I absolutely love her. She thinks that she is a dog trainer, which in actuality, she is amazing with the tricks that she does with the dogs. And she teaches them more than I do, actually. So she's she's great. So I wanted to have this round table today because a couple months ago, I don't know if this happens to you guys, you're kind of like the dog person that people in your circle know. And so whenever they hear something about an issue with somebody having a dog, they contact you. So I got contacted uh, because somebody was trying to rehome a dog. And the situation as I understand it is that somebody had two dogs in their home, they adopted a third dog, And then that third dog started getting into dog fights with the resident dogs that had been there longer. And this was very upsetting for the family. Um, And as I was reading the email, I was noticing different red flags. 
And I started talking to my husband, Tim, because I have been so immersed in all things dog for so long that I forget like kind of like what is like average common knowledge versus the knowledge of somebody who's been live, sleep, eat, breathing dogs for 15 years, you know? And so I, I wanted to like kind of bring together some people who have experience with reactive dogs and, and also preventing these kind of incidents from happening in the first place. So thank you guys all for being here. And by the way, this is my like dog mom confession. I have had a dog fight in my house. I don't know if, uh, if you guys had known that. So it was back in 2008 when I had Lucy and Kahlua and we were trying to be good Samaritans. We were content. My, my brother, who was kind of like a mess, ended up with this pit bull dog. And we were trying to like be helpful and say, okay, well, we'll keep the dog and try to find a home for it. Because we kind of knew we didn't have a good setup for three dogs, but we thought we could just like make it work temporarily. We were wrong. We did not know what we were doing. We thought that because we had had two pit bulls that lived successfully together that we knew something. We did not know anything. It is only through the grace of those two dogs being amazing that because we did everything wrong like with everything. And then we did everything wrong with the third dog and that blew up into a bloody mess that I had to figure out how to handle on my own and make this panicked call to Tim. But like you need to come home from work right now and he comes home and I'm crying and there's blood all over the house and he doesn't know what happened and and I was going through all of the emotions that I was reading in this email that I got but we were so dedicated to trying to make it work and find a lovely home which we eventually did and so I just wanted to try to put all of this together to help anybody that's ever been in this situation and to hopefully prevent these types of situations from happening in the first place so First thing, oh my God, dogfight in your house. What do you do? I guess I'll start. Um, so when I, when you, I've also had dogfights. Notice I have an S on there, multiple <laughs> in my house um, over you know over the years, and you know I think that the primary thing um, <laughs> that my husband is always pointing out to me is that panicking is not useful. Uh, the more that, you know, we add that screaming, panicking energy, it just doesn't help anything. So if you're a panicker like me, get yourself a spouse that's not a panicker <laughs> um, who keeps their cool because he's definitely saved me on a couple of um, occasions. But then the other thing is is really just, you know, to safely separate them. Obviously, we don't stick our hands in the middle of dog fights. I can attest on more than one occasion that that can result in pretty nasty injury to you same and you know if the dog happens to redirect so i've used a variety of methods to separate them so one would be you know try to get leashes on one or both of them um i've used gates to get in between them water throwing a blanket on them it's kind of just a whatever will function to get out of dodge if you have two people I would say like one person, we try like one person to handle each dog. I will say in my house, dogs who I know are a fight risk wear a collar almost all of the time. 
so particularly one of my pit bulls is doesn't pick fights but he also doesn't back down from them um, and he wears a collar all the time even with the dogs who he has lived harmoniously with for 10 years now just because if there's a mistake and we don't close a gate or something happens I want to make sure that I have a handle on him and I learned that lesson in a really hard way not with that dog but with another one who didn't have a collar on um, and had she had a collar on I would not have sustained a very very serious bite that I did so my dogs you know a lot of people say I don't have dogs wear collars because it's you know they can grab them when they're playing but if I have a dog who I know is prone that dog wears a collar all the time just to make sure that I can grab him if I need to let me add something with the collar for you because I I too have had fights and when Nikki said a collar it thought to me if it's a bad fight and you cannot get them separated. A collar does leave you an option of <clears throat> twisting to cut off uh, airflow to get the dog to loosen its grip. So can't, can't bite if you can't breathe. Yes. So I hate to say choking out your dog, but you have to do what's safe. So having a collar on allows you to choke the dog out to loosen the grip in order to separate them. Also, just saying is this. For both of us, the fights that we've experienced are typically with those terrier or bull breed type dogs. Uh, And so those are, you know, they're bred for killing stuff. And so they're the dogs who are going to grip and hold on and not let go. If you have dogs like my English Shepherd or German, you know, dogs who are not that bull breed type, they don't always hold on the same way. And you may have a better chance of kind of like getting them apart. Um, If they do have a tight hold on each other, you know, one of the things to think of is, you know, a lot of people will try to grab two dogs and rip cool. them apart from each yeah. other. And you can actually Do more really cause more damage if, you know, I have a hold of, you know, one dog has a hold of the other and you pull them and they do not release. You can cause more damage right. to the dog that they're gripping. So um, sometimes just using that twisting action or like lifting their, you know, feet up off the ground so they don't have any traction to maintain the fight is a better, safer option. And that I keep slip leads all over my house so that if I do need to grab one, there's always, there's probably one in every room, most, not just for fight prevention, but just also for, there's dog stuff everywhere in my house. So, (laughs) you know, there's always something within grab, uh, you know, reach that I can grab. And I think the other important part is getting them separated. And then what you need to do is have a, go into having multiple dogs with a plan of what's going to happen. When I bring a new dog into the house, because I have a dog that would fight, I will often have crates on every level of the house so that if something does happen, one of them can be immediately crated. Also knowing that when you're breaking them up, get them behind a door Uh, yeah, so that they're separated and then you can work with whatever you have to work with. Um, But you know, getting them apart and then not just planning on standing there holding them. Like, think about what's going to happen when she separate them. So, I think the time that it happened with us, we had a baseball bat that's like our security system that sits in like the track of the, the slider door. And I was able to kind of wedge that in between and back one of them into yeah. a crate that right. way yeah. to break it up because we have kind of a small 
house and it's not an ideal setup you know for for anything so i think i i do remember i think i still have like a little scar on my pinky finger from when i did that mm-hmm. but it was the only thing i could think to do even to throw one outside right you yeah. know just, just get them apart get them apart so you can get yourself together because it's emotionally going to be more devastating for you yeah and it, it may not be wildly popular but i do keep because i have bull breed dogs that I know fight I do have a couple of break sticks which I can you know a lot of people that 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 tool is associated with dog fighting pretty strongly um but it is you know just a piece of wooden stick that I have two of them one's by my yard and one's you know hanging upstairs that if we really needed that you know you can use that to to pry open because um using your fingers to pry to pry their mouth open is not really super recommended. So how do you um, use a break stick? Because I I know the term, but I don't honestly I know that I would know what to do with one. I have not used mine, thankfully. They just hang unused because our management system is pretty strong. But they have a wedge at the... Using the my hands like yeah. people can see me. Um, <laughs> there's a wedge at the tip and you would want to go you know, into the back part of their jaw and you just kind of use it like a lever to to release in their, between their, their so jaw. you'd be kind of like prying their mouth yeah, open yeah. so it's not really release. you would okay. you would i believe that you, you twist it and it's really just to get them to release the the grip um, and then i guess you could you know sho- shove it in their mouth to have them regrip on something um they do not work well with dogs who are like grab and release type biters so it really is focused for those dogs who hold grip and and don't let go but i do keep them you know just they're kind of like our last line of defense just in case so i was trying to think of what common situations are that could lead to there being a dog fight in the house the things that propped into my mind are like resource guarding and Mm -hmm. the situation that happened in our house i was trying to give everybody food in separate parts of the house, but clearly I had not separated it out well enough, and that's what led to the incident happening. I know it's also very common when you're introducing a new dog to the house that's, you know, changing the dynamic of everything. But yeah, I wanted to get, you know, input from you on like what are situations to look for uh, that could lead to this type of, of thing happening. It, it can simply just be a personality conflict at that that time. Just, you know, how it is when sometimes somebody just rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> that can just simply be it. It, it could be resource guarding, feeding. Um, you know, there can be medical issues that are going on that cause the dog just not to feel good. And just the other dog walking past them could turn into something. Um, loud noises, startling um, it just, it really depends on your dog and what their kind of trigger is. Well, that's what I was going to say. So uh, those two things that you mentioned, the resource guarding and a new dog are very high on what causes mm-hmm. fights. Is, but also, like Nicole said, knowing your dog. So I have terriers. They thrive for chasing things. They're, they have a very high prey drive. So even something as simple as them looking out the window, mm-hmm. not that I let them look out the window all the time because I know their personalities, mm-hmm. but sometimes stuff happens. And I'll give you an instance. Um, my two terriers were looking outside and all of a sudden there was a deer outside and adrenaline goes up. Mm-hmm. They get very excited and redirection happens. Mm-hmm. 
the barking, the adrenaline, and then one snaps, the other one snaps, and then all of a sudden you have a fight on your hand. So talk about redirection. So redirection isn't necessarily your dog being aggressive. It is a frustration, and Nikki can probably add more onto this too, but it's more of like a frustration um, outlet of dogs can't say, get away from me or get off me. All they can do is use their teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, so they use their teeth at one another or even a person. A person can be redirected on without having a very dog-aggressive dog. It's frustration. For instance, when this happened with the deer, as I saw it happen, I saw the posture change in both dogs. Mm -hmm. I saw um, ears go up, the barkings. It's a different kind of bark. And at that point, one turned and snapped, and I was like, oh, here we go. And I got in immediately, threw them separate ways, calmly, as Nikki said, (laughs) Do not panic, because if you add more adrenaline of your own, you're going to cause even worse mm-hmm. outcome. Um, asked for them to kind of get out, got in between them, asked for the sit, and then cooled off for a second. Luckily, my dogs do have some obedience on them, so they do listen for the most part. Had it gone further, I would have had a hard time getting them back under control, mm-hmm. and a full-blown fight would have caught, would have would have come out of it. So definitely that excitement. I think a lot of the clients that I've worked with over time who've had fights, you know, so obviously those major things, resource guarding, um, and that could be food, toys, space, mm-hmm. a person, right? I mean, water. anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I have a dog who resource guards the water bowl. Um, we have six water bowls in my house just so that I'm like, there's another one over there. Just go to the other bowl. But I think, you know, people sometimes say, oh, my dogs have been fine forever and ever, and all of a sudden they're fighting. And that can just be things like a really exciting person comes in the front door and your front hallway mm-hmm. is two feet wide, and the dogs yep. are excited and there's nowhere for that excitement to go. And they're jostling each other and, you know, it just gets, it's like, I think of like, you know, boys are on the playground who are having a great time playing and then just one person swings a little bit too hard and now it's, you know, actually now we're trying to hurt each other. Um, or, you know, my nephews would be a good example of that. <laughs> um, and then the other things that, you know, so all those kind of common ones. Other things that I would see are stuff like, you know, when you get a new dog or maybe you've met up with your friends and their dogs and the mentality of, well, they'll just all work it out themselves. Or I've got a, an older dog and we've got a new puppy and my older dog is going to train the new puppy how to be, right? So putting our dogs in those situations where they're basically forced to go so far as to snap to tell them, you know, I try not to put my dogs in those scenarios where they have to defend themselves. Or if I see a couple dogs bothering one or that a dog who's clearly saying, I'm really trying to walk away from you right now. And I'm, you know, going to the corner and walking away and the dog is following, fine, following, you know, if that first dog snaps, they're kind of within their, their right. <laughs> Cause they've thrown a lot of signals to tell the other dog, Hey, I don't mm-hmm. want to interact with you. Um, and so I try to intervene before, you know, when I see that first dog getting to the point where he's going to turn around and say, you know, you're not heeding my growling, my walking away, my lip curl, all those things. The next thing is that you're going to get teeth laid on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also knowing, you know, what dogs can make that correction, right? So I have not my dog, but a friend's dog who's excellent at, you know, doling out. So I call it street justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
to two other dogs, and I don't often intervene because she's extremely fair, and she will not carry it very you know too far. Um, but like my border collie, right when she gets to the point of street justice, she's gonna say and another thing and another thing. So <laughs> I don't let her get to the point of making that correction because then everybody kind of loses. So that's kind of the you know probably the other main thing or and I think it is really really important just to know your dog and to listen to your dog my dog's trigger is male affection if a man walks in the house that is her man she loves men and the plural fights that have occurred in our house revolving around her have been that a man shows another dog affection in her presence really and she can't handle that. She loses it. Um, if there's not a man, it could be another person. If the dog sitter comes into the house, she's well aware that Zelda gets the attention while the other dogs are crated. Get that out of the way. And then the other dogs can come out and get a hello. But her trigger is get away. She's mine. He's mine. And we know that. And I, you know, my nephew came over the other day and the first thing I said was don't make a big deal about the dogs because the minute that you make a big deal about the cute dog over here, she's jealous and it turns into a thing. Yeah, I see even with Penny and Nino, uh, so if like a delivery person comes to the door Mm -hmm. uh, and they get like all excited Mm -hmm. and Nino will always like redirect and kind of like, and it's only because, you know, Penny's so good that she just kind of like barks in his face and, you know, the whole thing kind of diffuses. But yeah, like that's to me like a classic redirection of like, I'm really excited about this person coming towards the house and I'm going to lash out at you, you know. In our house, the FedEx man is not excitement he's oh my god he's here to kill us so that automatically causes a redirection as yes, well well i think yeah. that's what nino seems to think that all delivery people are there to steal his ball because oh. <laughs> he will take not. his ball and go run away <laughs> well but you know that's another thing as well we my my daughter inappropriately she doesn't know the true meaning of this word she calls it boning <laughs> zelda's <Wow>. bon- <laughs> zelda's boning again because when she feels that frustration especially when the delivery people are hot on the street she will grab her bone and take it in the other room and start very anxiously chewing she and that's her way to decompress that's nino and yep. not to and, and that's fine and so we know leave her alone she's stressed out like something is bothering her so there's boning and bawling I guess. yeah um, yeah i i don't but really I'm, I'm like can we just keep that term in the house please that's, that's one of the ones that you know she's going to shout it on the street absolutely that dog over there is boning <laughs> So you guys brought up uh, something that I think is so important. And when I look back on me in 2008, the dog's body language and all the signs that they're trying to send us, I was completely immune to these at that time. And I think that's why things went on the way that they did. And I wasn't seeing that Lucy, I mean, I look back now and, you know, I just like Lucy tried so hard to tell me. I don't like this dog. This dog is not, you know, respecting my boundaries. Like this, you know, and, and and I'm just like, Oh my God, I totally missed all of it. And so 
that's something that when I look at like the gen, the gen pop, the general population of dog owners, I think we don't always recognize how much our dogs are trying mm-hmm. to tell us and trying to communicate with us all the time. Like they try so hard to let us know mm-hmm. how they're feeling. Uh, how do we like spread this information? Like the two books I always love are the calming signals book. That was the one, um, that I got for the first time and was like, oh my God, I am such an idiot and have been missing all of these signs. And then there's the newer book, the Lily Chin book, um, that has all the dog body language illustrations. But do you have any things that you love? How did you learn this? School of Hard Knocks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, experience, I, uh, I was a vet tech and I became a dog trainer because I have two male, they're neutered, but two male dogs in my house who, um, God, how long has it been? Like 10 years now. They live in Crate and Rotate, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but I had to learn all that stuff because I did not have a choice if I wanted to keep them both, to, but to learn how to manage both of them. I mean, this is a really tough one that I think all dog trainers and anyone who's in rescuers, anyone who's involved in dogs like, you know, 24 7, um, that we struggle with because I think the, the general pet owner population, you know, they have this idea in their head that all of our dogs are going to be, you know, like Lassie or all those, you know, Old Yeller, Rin Tin Tin, all those dogs who are just perfect examples of the canine companion that we're all seeking mm-hmm. that can go everywhere and do everything and i've met a lot of people who are just not really willing to hear me when i tell them your dog doesn't want to do that <laughs> please mm-hmm. stop taking him to you know the Next farmer's market day. every sunday like he's miserable here um so i think your dog doesn't want a companion yeah right, right. Like, that's the biggest yeah. one so i think getting you know we can do as much education when people work with trainers. I mean, you know, I talk to my clients about that. Um, but unfortunately, I think some of it is just a personal responsibility thing. So getting people to understand um, and do some research on, you know, their chosen dog breeds and mm-hmm. all of those things. But I think, I, I don't know, I haven't found, you know, the right answer to how to really spread it. I mean, social media has done a lot for us to be able to spread those things but at the same time there's kind of the antithesis on social media of you know all the cute dog and baby videos or you know you know here's 50,000 dogs in one dog park or all that stuff so it goes both ways I haven't really found a super viable solution to that and I am not a dog trained Well, I I am not a professional dog trainer, but I've had years of experience with, here are two of the best trainers, and I've worked with a few rescues, and I predominantly do pit bull rescue, and we require people to take their new dog to training, because your trainers are going to pick up on those signs in your dog, too. So listening to, you might not like what the trainer says, but listening to the trainer when they say your dog is reactive to X, Y, and Z, and you're like, but I don't want Foofy to be mad at bunnies. Okay, well, you're now going to have a problem because you're not listening. And that's the reason that we require (laughs) our adopted animals to go to trainers because you are not trained to pick up on those things but they are. 
And like I said, I've learned so much through the years from working with multiple trainers, but I'm not a trainer. And my personal dog went through three years of consistent training so that I could learn her because she was a disaster. <laughs> um, and I was willing to learn what her triggers were and with the other dogs. So that's, I think it's really important that you realize you're not a trainer. And though you may have had 10 dogs in your life, you're maybe not going to pick up on those cues that a professional can. I'm going to backtrack one second, but I'm up. I'm going to answer that question and backtrack too. I think we let people know, like you're doing your podcast and it's gaining a lot of followers. Um, and you've, shared so many good things so this is how we get it out so you're getting it out so i think as as pet people start listening to more podcasts there's the opportunity to learn more about what they should do with their dogs and and this is what circles me back to what i was going to say about what causes dog fights too i know we're focusing in on the home but a lot of people too when dogs are out and about and they're straining to meet each other Yes, I have mm. that um, on the back. Oh, oh, well, oh, okay. Okay, well, then just we'll, die we'll, trying to skip ahead. Oh, skipping ahead, sorry. We'll go back to that. Yeah. Well, and that to being said, bit. too, you know, I t- you know, whether it be home, these daycares, I, I had a puppy. I took her to her first... She got kicked out of daycare her first day. So our response was, we don't go back to daycare. My dog said she didn't like it and neither did the people who worked there (laughs) so we didn't go to daycare anymore we found another way to fulfill her needs and so again listening to your dog they're gonna tell you so I was thinking I was actually having this conversation with Tim recently about like how do we get our expectations of what like a dog should be like right because I never had a dog until I was 25 and I didn't know what to expect and yeah you see the lassie and you see like the dogs in tv or movies who are all trained to the nth degree and then somehow we think that that's what like having a dog is going to be like you know it's hard work though and a lot of people don't follow through with the hard work like we think oh he's just going to come on call and you know jump on this and well, and I and I think too, and this is a whole. This could be a whole other podcast, but I think a lot of people are treating their dogs. And I I know people love this term, and I use it sometimes, but I don't think it literally. But people are treating their dogs like fur babies, mm-hmm. and they're not humans. Right. They are dogs Correct. with teeth. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this is true, but that's but, the only way. But they also, can as a parent, like some people should be training their kids a little yes. bit better. Yeah. So so that's like I said, that's yeah. a whole nother podcast. So but but yeah. But learning how to communicate with your dog on their level, not turning not mm-hmm. humanizing them because they're not humans. Do I talk to my dog all the time? Absolutely. Do I tell my clients not to? Absolutely. <laughs> so so yeah. do as I say, not as I yeah, do situation. Right. Definitely. So but um but the best thing I can tell you about Learn your, watch your dog on a daily basis. Watch when you think they're uncomfortable. Watch if they shift. Watch if their ears perk up. Um, when you're on social media, look at those uh, infograms that kind of say, this is a happy dog. This is a sad dog. This is a excited dog. A lot of people say, oh, look at my dog. He's, he's happy because his tail's wagging. Well, you know, that can give you five different signs. It can be happiness. It can be anxiousness. It can be like, 
oh, I'm ready to bite this other dog. Um, so do your research as a pet parent. And Nikki, I think you even gave some examples too of just like the lip curl. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. like, you know, walking around. And I think another thing that's important is, you know, as we obtain dogs to think about, you know, what really looking for dogs who match what you want out of them, right? So for me, you know, like the dogs that I have now, my older ones are dogs that I kind of got as pets, you know, as I, you know, moved like through college and everything. But as I have kind of developed my taste in what I want to do with my dogs, I'm choosing things like agility and disc and these high level sports that, you know, take a dog who has a ton of energy. But in that, I've also, you know, what's important to me with those is that my dog looks to me for more information than they do to the outside world. So, you know, while like my youngest puppy, who's actually the sibling of Di's puppy, um, is, you know, she's, she doesn't mind dogs, but that's not like her primary drive, right? When we're out in the yard, she'll run around with them. But if we are at a place where she knows that we do sports, you know, or things like that, she's looking to me like, hey, why aren't we throwing a Frisbee? Why aren't we running around and, you know, practicing our agility foundation? So for me to say, well, why don't you want to play with this dog? It's kind of unreasonable because I've taught her to not want to do that. So I think, you know, just knowing like what we get our dogs for and then not expecting them to be who they aren't, you know, and I think that goes along with watching your dog. You know, I have a dog who one dog who loves to be in the yard and run around with dogs and one dog who doesn't. And I kind of compare that to, you know, the friends who love to go out and, you know, party in large groups or maybe go bar hopping, um, you know, which for me as a human, like that's not my favorite thing to do. Um, like I would prefer to hang out in the backyard and have a fire with five friends. Right. So that's kind of the difference. You have those dogs who are super gregarious. They want to go out and interact with other dogs, but not every dog is going to be like that. Um, and I think we just, there's a lot of obtaining of dogs because, Oh, they're really cute or their ears are really tall. I don't know, whatever. Um, and we don't think about, how that dog's breed or life experiences or things are going to shape what they want to do. Which is um, one of the biggest pet peeves and rescue. Oh, I have to have so-and-so because I've always wanted a black and white dog. <laughs> well, this black and white dog is not good with children, is not good with cats, and is not going to do well in your home. Well, you're so mean. How are you? you that dog's going to die because you won't give it to me. Like, it's about a personality. Right. And so knowing the personality of your dog, even when you go to get a dog, you know, listening to the people that are working with them, and it's going to set you up for success at home. Yes. And, you know, that's something you hear sometimes with rescues about um, that they have a more complicated process for adopting Correct. a dog. And this is why, because they want to make sure that it's the right fit. And if you get a dog from a breeder or even a shelter, they're just, they don't always put the time in, you know, if it's a reputable breeder or a good stand quality breeder, yes. But if it's a, somebody off Craigslist or whatever, you know, no, or Lancaster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, it, the harder it is to get the dog, I actually think that's a good thing because it means it's more likely to be the best fit for you Correct. and your family. And, and respecting that opinion when the people tell you that same as, you know, respecting the, the trainer's opinion, like, no, this is not going to be the right fit. That is not a reflection on you. Just set the dog up for the best success. Right. It's just going to take a shift in 
the way that our society views dogs. Um, and, you know, that's, as with anything that requires a societal shift, it's just going to be a long, you know, long process um, to, to get people to really have more buy-in to to what we're doing, you know, with our pets and, and making sure that we set them up for success. It's kind of like, you know, when you're choosing a spouse. Like, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily right. like... I love to bike and hike 50 miles a weekend and you want to sit inside and... You know, eat bonbons. You know, right. You know, or, eat snacks. You know, you We're probably not going to get along. Go with like the hot guy or something, right. you know, Correct. like you want like the, the substance of the, you know, the personality fit. Like we yes. have to get away from like the, you know, the looks or, or yes. whatever and yeah. go into the personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and we all know people who don't do that with their human choices either. So. <laughs> So with you guys being trainers and we've talked about, you know, working with trainers. So can any dog trainer help you in these kind of situations? Um, You mean like when a fight has happened? Yes. Or just even with maybe trying to introduce a A new new dog dog. to your family or yeah, if there is a situation where you're like, oh my God, we had this fight. I want to prevent this from happening. Like, is that something that like any trainer you find on Google results can help you with, or how do you screen whether somebody has the like great skills? So I've worked with several trainers and I can tell you they're not all equal and it's not all right for the dog. My, my dog, I can't do positive reinforcement training with her. She, it's not for her. She sat down and was like, you know, it's not happening. Um, She needs a more assertive, trainer and so you you kind of gotta and sometimes you might have to feel out a few trainers yes. to find the one that's going to work with your dog some dogs don't like men you need a female trainer some trainers train in a certain way like i said positive reinforcement training versus real life i train dogs that could eat people training so you you kind of you really have to feel it out to find the trainer um i have a dog who i think would do much better with out of the box thinking I know one of those. Um, she's going to do better than with that than a basics class. And so just kind of feeling it out. Um, I, I think the human has to look at the dog um, and, and see what works for them. Uh, I love positive reinforcement. I love the whole gamut. So I don't want to say, can any trainer do it? And, and I don't want to say, no, they can't. Um, because there's the there's so much training out there and that's a whole another again a whole another <laughs> podcast but certainly you'll just have to kind of look around know your dog talk to several different people um i know a lot of people like to talk to their vets but vets aren't dog trainers um they have a a very some of them have a very strong preferences um all i can say is keep an open mind um see if your friends have gone to certain trainers a lot of people work on referrals uh, I mean, I have the same sentiment. I think, you know, some trainers are only going to, you know, work with a certain level of aggression or, you know, like I know trainers who don't take any aggression cases, they refer them out to another trainer. So I guess, oh, that's a good yeah. question. So is that like, is that something that you would ask the trainer is like, yeah. you know, do you yeah. work with dog dog aggression? Sure. Or how would you? I mean, I I would say, like, I have no problem when, when clients are interested in working with me, chatting with them on the phone or doing all of those things, because it's similar to, you know, interviewing someone, you're going to pay this person money, and you're going to work with them for, you know, probably an extended period of time, you want to make sure that 
all the personalities, you know, match well. Um, I mean, you know, I'll say like, I, I work by myself the majority of the time. I mean, my husband and myself both work from home, but he has crazy noise canceling headphones. So, you know, when, if I'm downstairs working a dog, I don't take large human aggressive dogs to work with because there's, there's no one to save me if things (laughs) go poorly, you know, and I don't think that he would hear. Um, so, you know, if I had someone come and say, oh, I have this 80-pound dog who's lunging at everybody on the street, you know, I might say, you know, sure, we can work and do private lessons, but I wouldn't take that dog, like, into my home because it's just me by myself, you know. Um, and so, you know, you want to interview your trainer and say, what experience do you have? I mean, I, I've had some people who have asked for, you know, like, kind of uh, references, Um and I have a couple clients who will give references. I don't think you can expect them because not every client is going to want to put themselves out there right. and say, yeah. oh, yeah, sure, I don't mind talking to all of your prospective people. Right. Um, I mean, that's a lot. But, you know, look for what their experience is, how long have they been training. Um, I mean, I know trainers who are really good trainers that work at, you know, generally, I'm not a fan of the the big box store training classes, but I do know some trainers who've worked at those places, and they are, you know, perfectly capable. Um, so I think just kind of exploring, and it's fine to to interview around and and kind of try to find someone who fits with you and with your. But also be very inter- honest with yeah. the trainer. Right. Yes, be honest. Because if you're like, oh, say- my dog just needs some obedience, but really you're going there because your dog is attacking right. your other dog. You like, can't help you. Can't, they, right. it, Fluffy a, is mostly a, nice. <laughs> yeah, but you, you're embarrassed by your dog's behavior so much when something like that happens. And it's like you're going here to solve this problem. Be very honest because more often than not, the trainer's already dealt with it. They're not judging you. Or we've done it in our own lives, right? right? And also, been totally been there. Yeah. And I mean, I will tell you that I do... I would say lesser uh, dog-on-dog aggression. Like, I I won't take true dog-on-dog aggression. But I also have a network of trainers that I can refer out to. So so when you do have a dog fight at home, first of all, it needs to be addressed immediately. Like, you you should look out and don't let it fester and don't let it – Try not to let it happen again. And and I don't know if it's on here, but kind of what, what you do after mm-hmm. what a dog fight is. Okay, we're going to cover that. Okay, so that'll be good. Um, and I, I did buy, I, I did read my read ahead, but apparently <laughs> I forgot what's on the outline. Um, anyways, by being honest, I have, I have a current client right now who had a very rambunctious 10-month-old golden retriever, probably the, the most rambunctious I've ever seen, and a, I will say, an elder female dog. And they came to me for introductions. So it's also good to kind of reach out to a trainer if you know you're going to have, before a fight mm-hmm. occurs, mm-hmm. if you're introducing a dog on a dog, to do that. And we've worked really well with, like, you know, walks, being near each other, training next to each other. So it was a very slow integration, and it, it went really well. Um, so those are the things you can do to prevent. But then also after it happens, talk to trainers, talk to different ones. Again, a lot of trainers have other trainers they can send to. Like I send a lot to Nikki. It's me on the <laughs> <And> network. <laughs> She's the network. A rescue perspective where the the rule is the dog goes back to rescue when there's an issue. 
I cannot even tell you, I, I probably know five that have just over the past few months that I know of where there are emails, oh, well, there was a problem a year ago yeah. and then it happened again. Well, now we're on the fifth time and the dog has to go. That first time, because I promise you, if it happened once and you are not comfortable with what it was, it just happened out of nowhere, that first time even if you know what it is the first time training. And you may need to train several times through a dog's life, change in life issues, but not waiting until it's now happened five times and now you need to get rid of this dog and you don't want to send it to the shelter. But now we're dealing with a rescue, not being able to take back a dog who's now had several Goes on the record. issues. Correct. So it's so important that first time to reach out to a trainer or to the rescue who can put you in touch with a trainer. And I think the like kind of my last note that I made for myself is that um, you know I it's important to note when you're looking for trainers to remember that you know the onus for for your dog is is not on the trainer. It's on the owner. And so if you go into training thinking that, you know, you're going to come to lessons with me and I'm going to wave my magical wand and now, ta-da, your dog will be better, you are sorely mistaken because it's my job as a trainer to guide the owner. Um, You know, I mean, when dogs come, like for a board and train program, then yes, it is my job while the dog is there to train the dog. Uh, But when that dog goes home, which is the goal, you know, it's obviously the the end picture, it's, I can't live there, right? I can't make you follow all the rules and the structure that I gave you to put your dog in, you know, and and all those things every day. So, you know, ultimately, when you go into training, especially if you're dealing with a situation like this, where where you have dogs who are fighting, or, you know, dogs who are not getting along, um, or, you know, dogs with history, whatever, that the, the, the lion's share of the work is really going to be on you as the owner, right? I mean, when my two dogs first started fighting before I was working as a trainer, the trainer that I went to see, um, we had a consultation with her and, you know, we were sitting there and my husband and I were both there. We had both dogs. And she just said, if you guys are not both 100% in, this will not work. And so that was a huge discussion that the two of us had to have, say, okay, if we're going to keep both of these dogs... We both have to be on board with every rule, every training class, all the things that we're doing. We can't have me at home saying, here's all the rules for the dogs. And my husband's saying, oh, but they just want to be friends and then letting them loose together, right? He did not do that. <laughs> but I do know people who the spout, you know, the household family members disagree. Um, so I think going into hiring a trainer with the thought process of, you know, I, for my clients, I compare it to things like a personal trainer, right? If I go see my personal trainer on Mondays and Thursdays and I, you know, eat donuts and cookies the rest of the days of the week, am I going to be mad at the personal trainer that I don't get results? No, that would be unrealistic, right? It's not his job to follow me around and say, well, do you really want to eat that? So I think that that's a really important um you know, thought process to have, right? Because a lot of people get really frustrated. Oh, the training is not working. I'm like, well, you know, but then they say, oh, well, we haven't used any of the tools while we've been walking. We only use them during training sessions. Oh, 
that's probably why it's not working. So I think that that's probably, you know, something just to, in, in addition to choosing a trainer who fits you and your dog well um, and can help you to remember that it's really on you to, to do the work at home. Yeah, I think that's a conversation that has come up on the podcast before, but is always worth reminding that like dog trainer is almost a little bit of a misnomer because you're working with the people. It's the human, we're human yeah. training. Yeah. Yes. Correct. And, and so you need to be able to interpret what's going on with the dog, but you know, you're really kind of trying to teach the, the human. And that's yeah. again, I think why uh, like interviewing and trying to find like a good match. Um, Cause for instance, uh, you know, we had tried to do some, some formal training with Penny at one point and we, it wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a good fit, uh, you know, for, for us. And so, but that was, you know, because we didn't do enough due diligence ahead of time to figure out what exactly we were looking for. It was sort of our first foray into trying to do any of this. And it's like, oh, well, all these other people like this person, I'm going to go to this person. And then it was like, oh, this is not a good fit for us. (laughs) Like, (laughs) not a match. But, um, so I think that's a really good point. Now, one question I did want to bring up too. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that dog trainers can work with pet parents. So there's kind of like the formal obedience class. There's bringing you like into the person's home. And then there's like you said, like the board and train where you're taking the dog. So in a situation where there's these dog fights going on in the house, I'm thinking you want somebody to come out and be in the house. But I wanted to get your input on that. I think it varies depending on the the the, the person. Um, I mean, maybe the severity. You, maybe too. I don't know. This seems kind of pompous, but using myself and as a as an example, I mean, I I was really hell bent on not getting you know rehoming or or you know getting rid of one of our two dogs. I was really <laughs> convinced that we had to keep both of them, and so you know when we had the aforementioned 100% in discussion, you know, that's something that I really took to heart at home. Um, So I think there's definitely people out there who are going to be able to do that with the guidance of the trainers. I mean, we tended, oh my God, we were going to class all the time, um, working with with the trainers. But, you know, I've, I've found for me, like I try to kind of suss that out based on the personality of the, the person who I'm working with. Um, so I think there are some people who will be benefited by someone coming into the house that they have trouble. You know, if you know that you have trouble taking something that you've learned over here and applying it at home, then yes, seeking a trainer at home might be helpful. Um, I don't generally travel, travel to people's homes like as like private lessons. And as long as they kind of do the structure that we practice, then things have gone, you know, fairly well. But then I do have sometimes people say, their dog will work really well at, at class or at lessons and then at home they're struggling. And I think that might be an instance where finding a trainer who can come to your house might, might be improved. And I think as a, you know, not a trainer person that um, I think we really underestimate what a basic obedience class is about. It's not about your dog sitting necessarily. It is about your dog learning that you are in charge and respecting you and you knowing how to carry yourself with your dog at home and in public. Um, it's, it's not about tricks necessarily. Like it's about building that connection with your dog. 
So even just referring somebody to doing a basics class can really build a relationship with you and your dog to, to have them trust your judgment and to know that if, if something goes down, they can trust you to take care of the situation. And I think that just a basics helps build on that. And then your dog, you decide where to go from there. Maybe they need more intense training. Maybe they're, they got to start with intense training and then go to basics because they can't be in a class with other dogs. But it's a lot about that relationship. So, okay, like you said, Di, Uh-oh. there was the dog fight in the house. We've yeah. got everybody separated. Oh, we got to yes. So now what do we do? Oh, what do you do? So I'm going to get this wrong because there was a study. <laughs> but um, there is a study that the adrenaline stays in a dog system for like, is it 48 hours? Don't look at me. I, I know it's, <laughs> I think it's 24 to 48 hours. So... I'm going to find that study. Thank you. There's a the likelihood of a dog fight happening again happens within that 24 to 48 hours. Because think about it, you're, they're all jacked. They're it's like blood, the fight or flight. It's a know. fight. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, uh, and then you let them back out again, and they're like, oh, they're back. Let's go at it again. So I'm not saying you want to separate, keep them separated and not see each other. But you want to have a very controlled environment for those next 24 to 48 hours. Like, you might bring them back out on leashes with somebody there. You know, if you're by yourself, you can maybe open a door and put a gate there so they can still see each other. Um, Because you want them to see each other and to kind of acknowledge this, but you don't want to have whatever triggered them kind of come at it again. So if I've had something like the, 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 my dear example of when they redirected on each other, I shut down everything. There was no wild play that day. There was a group walk that I took them on because um, I do a lot of hiking with my dogs. So they lost their freedom of being able to kind of run amok and hike about and everything. It was all very structured. Mm-hmm. So after it happens, then you go, I'm not saying lockdown mode, but you go into kind of repair mode where everything is kind of calm. You take a break too, because you're going to be walking around on yeah, your adrenaline's going. Your adrenaline's going. So even you yourself, believe it or not, and I don't want to say I'm speaking from experience, um, can trigger another dog fight. Because you're expecting it, and dogs can read right, your you're body now language. On edge. You're now on and edge. And they can even smell the hormones and yes. everything else yes. know, that we're putting so, off. So, you know, I go on complete, like, strict management. Like, I manage their movement. I manage, you know, my feeding. Well, I, I, I have a strict feeding schedule anyways as well. But I make sure that we're all kind of, like, taking the, the, the chill pill. Not an actual pill, but, like, trying to. <laughs> Although that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, you know, having a drink or something. But going into that management mode for a couple days just so that everything comes down. Um, and then we can, then I slowly go back into my normal activities, letting them play, letting them go on hikes, letting them, but we, we take a step back if something occurs. So if, and if it's a introduction, then 
I even take it slower. And so we go into the crate rotate thing where the crate is in the living room. One dog's in the crate, the other one's out and everything. And these guys, Nikki can even talk more about crate and rotate as well. That's my life. That's her life. (laughs) So that's kind of how I do it. I do the same. I mean, I usually try to get dogs um, on leash. Uh, You know, I mean, I know there's been quite a few popular TV shows in the past that have, you know, shown things like, oh, you need to put them right back together and have them recover. And, and, you know, I think that that's (laughs) poor advice. And, you know, so I do put dogs back together, but they're on leash. We take a walk together. I want to manage their interactions to ensure that everything is at the calmest possible. Um, I use whatever obedience training those dogs have um, to manage that. So, like, I might back tie them on place beds or something like that so that they can experience being in the room together, but they're not free to bother each other or, you know, whatever. So it's basically like a, it's like, you know, you lose all of your privileges and now you're on kind of like, you know, you, I manage, you're grounded. You can, you're gra- yeah, you're <laughs> grounded. Um, so I think it's, it's pretty much, it's a very similar thing. I try to, if I can do those things, like the leash walk together as soon after the fight as I can. But that's also for, for me and as well, right? Because if, if I, for my personality, if I stew for 24 hours about how the dogs had a fight and oh God, well, what they'll never be able to be together again. Then. So for me, it it helps me to see that. So if the dogs are trained sufficiently, I'll, one in each hand and walk them. If I think that they're going to try to kill each other across the front of my body or get back in that fight, I might try to recruit my husband to help me and say, hey, you walk this one, and we might walk on opposite sides of the street, right? 20 feet in between those dogs, and then, you know, working back to closely. closely. Um, but otherwise, it's very similar, right? So we just take away all of your privileges and freedom and, and manage it closely for a little while, and then every set of dogs or group of dogs is going to be a little bit different into how quickly you can give those things back right so like my two female dogs got into a squabble while we were on vacation last year and they resolved that pretty quickly right? I gave them some time to cool down and it happened like while we were packing all our stuff up to leave so I had I don't know put the bag of dog food on the floor or some stupid thing you know so human get it together don't do that you know once they were separated you know they they went for a walk they were fine a couple hours later, right? Those are two dogs who are not prone to fighting necessarily. It was just a really tight, unfortunate space and situation. Whereas like my two males who fight, you know, they're, they've never really been reintegrated because they absolutely hate each other. Um, But we still have them take walks together or be on the other side of a gate to maintain some level of peace (laughs) in our house. So define what crate and rotate looks like for you. Um, so at our house, crate and rotate is really just that I have a system of gates all over. Um, it kind of sounds really kind of dismal, but it reminds me a little bit of like when you move like airlocks. high, right. Airlocks <laughs> or like when you move like, you know, high security, like prisoners around, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's always about making sure that the gates are closed. So, um, I try to have a rule of with the two boys, we have at least two 
gates in between them at all times. So that might look like one dog is in a crate, there's a gate to the kennel room, right? That would be two gates for me. The crate is counts as a gate. Um, or, you know, a baby gate. And then we actually have gates that are mounted on the walls because baby gates can be knocked slammed over. into and yeah. knocked over. Um, so we have like mounted hinged gates that um, close off certain rooms. And so we can put, you know, this dog can go in this room and this dog can go in this room and they're gated in there. And then, you know, we just kind of rotate them around. So really it looks like being really cognizant of where the dogs are all the time, right? Like I said, when we did our intros, I have eight dogs that live in my house. So I count a lot, um, (laughs) Like when I do, especially like early in the morning and late at night when like I've, you know, I'm just woken up, maybe haven't drank any coffee yet. And I'm like kind of like groggy or same thing for bedtime, you know, like when we're going to bed and I'm just trying to like get everybody. I'm like, come on, guys, like hurry up that I really count. I double check. You're doing a head right? count. This is yeah. like prison. <laughs> I know. it is. So and I do like I stick my head in our kennel in where my room where my kennels are and I'll count, you know, one, two, three, four. And I know, okay, those four dogs are there. If the if there's other dogs that are loose, like those are ones that that dog, you know, the one I'm moving is safe with. Right. So I try to just keep track of where they all are, at the, you know, and kind of keep the head count. Um, my house create and rotate is probably more complicated than most people. <laughs> Uh, because I have three rotations that go around due to having grumpy 13-year-old dogs. Um, So if I had just two dogs that I was rotating, it would probably be a little bit more like when one dog's out, the other dog is crated. And making sure that when you switch them, that, you know, there's a a moment where, you know, both dogs are crated, and then you let the other one out. Which is fine. Dogs are okay to be crated. I, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, the crate and ra- rotate, that's horrible. You have those dogs locked up. So, what, is your, what is your dog doing when they're out? Most of the time they're laying and sleeping. So their crate is their safe spot. I have one dog who it's I can't get fine. out of her crate. <laughs> right. So She's in there all the time. She wants to sleep Their there. safety is so important and if they're content i i promise you when they're in the crate they're content and so people a lot of times these things will happen because they're like i can't possibly have my dog in a crate when i'm home well if they're safe and they're comfortable and they're sleeping and they perhaps have a bone or a kong or whatever it is that you do in your house then why is it wrong it's it's a perfectly safe way to live right and one other, I say, important factor of crate and rotate is if you have multiple people who live in your house, right? So a spouse or kids that you communicate with each other and say, hey, you know, so like we have whatever, whatever gate. I'll say, hey, uh, Boomer is gated in the living room just so that you know, right? Hey, so-and-so is outside, right? So I... My husband and I try to communicate with each other a lot to say where the dogs are so that the other one doesn't say, oh, this dog needs to go outside and open the door and, oh, no, now we've accidentally let the two out together who can't be together. Um, And then, so, you know, if you have adults, they can handle that, hopefully. Um, And if you have kids, you know, just either having them understand, like, hey, you don't open gates or let dogs out, you know, without an adult and then getting them to comply with that. That's maybe tougher. So, like, if I were, we don't have children at our house, but I do have like locking carabiners that 
if I know that the kids are going to be around, I'm not sure. Like I take extra steps to lock those kennels so that there's not an accident. Yeah, I was going to piggyback on that too. So when we're talking about crate and rotate, it doesn't mean that because your dogs had a fight that you're going to be on the system forever. Um, so when when we're talking about crate and rotate, what Nikki does with a she has multi multi dog household. She has a lot. <laughs> And so that this, so don't be scared when you hear crate and rotate. Um, it could be a very temporary situation, or it could not. Uh, most trainers, or I should say, a lot of trainers have crate and rotate because we tend to take the dogs that have issues, unfortunately. Um, so, and it is work. And I will also say that management from humans unfortunately does fail. So when it fails, you have to be prepared to deal with the consequence as well. So um, mistakes are made by humans. So with Nikki take, you know, locking it when she does have kids come over and stuff is a, is a good thing because if she didn't do that, that's when management would fail. Um, but it also fails in a two person household. Again, just cause maybe that has happened in, in my case as well. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, just realize, and if it does happen, don't beat yourself up o- over it because we're all human. Mm-hmm. We all are particularly, um, you know, have a lot of things to deal with, especially these past two and a half years. So it's really crazy and our lives are crazy and everything. So the crate and rotate management system works, but just keep in mind that it's not for everyone as well. Mm-hmm. So you may not right. want to do it. Mm-hmm. Takes work. And in our house, I have a child who is starting to stay home by herself from time to time for short periods. And we're not allowed to have two adult dogs out at the same time. These two dogs have never had a problem, but it's a rule in my house. And that's why I now foster puppies because as she's grown and starting to open doors and gates, that I choose not to set her up for that situation because I do have one dog that's had some other issues but she's very much aware that two adult dogs are not allowed out at the same time in our house so just letting your kid know and mistakes happen especially with kids so that's that's a big one and like I said that's it's not always going to work for you forever to be able to have that environment but also setting your dog up with that crate and rotate system for even if you have other people around if somebody's visiting, maybe you don't want two adult dogs out and you, you rotate. Right. And also, I mean, it's a, it's really more of a, an, well, it should only be really an adult situation, but when, you know, when you're having create and rotate just to be, or even just one dog, just to be smart about the things that you do. So, you know, like <laughs> I know that, you know, it doesn't behoove me to go out with my friends and have like, tons of drinks when I have to come home and manage dogs <laughs> yes who, you know, because that that isn't yes. not that it's not you know happen but that's an easy way for a mistake to happen right you swing a gate that you think closed and oh no it didn't right so being smart about what you know if you know that you have to manage that at home making sure that someone is capable of doing it or setting it up so that maybe when you get home you don't need to or and the same thing applies for when we have people over um, 
Like I had my wedding at my house, and despite everybody who was there saying, where's the dogs, where's the dogs, I locked the rooms that they were in, and yep. I was like, absolutely no one go in there, let them out, touch them, nothing, right? Because I don't, I just wanted to, you know, have fun at my party. Yep. <laughs> I didn't really want to have to be worrying about what the dogs are doing or eating or, you know, whatever. So, you know, just being honest with people who are visiting your house or, you know, family or whatever. And just, you know, if they don't let them say, oh, but we really want to see so-and-so. If your rule is that dog doesn't come out when people are over, then that dog doesn't come out when people yeah, are over. Yeah, we've had to institute that kind of rule yeah. with me now. And I do that with um, our nieces and nephews when we even when we visit, you know, if they are. And I've also done it with my adult friends <laughs> plenty of times. Uh, if we're doing something and and they're and I'm telling them, hey, that dog is not going to appreciate what you're doing, I will just say, if you cannot abide the rule that I'm telling you, I will put the dog away. And it works on children and adults, <laughs> you know, and and that seems to, to be helpful. But that's an important part of, you know, managing dogs and multi-dogs in your household. It's just being smart. You know, if, if I have, I don't even think I have 10 friends who would come over at the same time. But <laughs> if I had 10 friends over and we were having a big barbecue in the backyard, chances are that my dogs would be up, yep. put away, yep. um, because I don't want to spend that barbecue worrying about that. I want to hang out and be relaxed. So that's another just kind of piece of that management. And I, I foster several puppies a year, which a lot of times means strangers coming into my house and meeting the puppies. My dog is super people friendly, loves everybody. But you don't meet my dog when you're there. She is up on the stairs. She can see you. Otherwise, she'll try to chew through the door to see you. But she's gated up there. There's no interaction. And... There doesn't need to be. She's she's there to just watch. And so it takes that whole element of are they going to do something that maybe is not going to go over well? Are they not dog savvy? It just takes it out of the picture and we can all relax. I'll just add to that real quick. I do have a new client um, who rescued a dog. And um, admittedly, she said she did some wrong things and introduced her other dog to the new dog too quickly. And they did have some spats and everything. And the good part is that she wants to work through it. Her and her husband both want to, and they were having a big party last weekend. And there was a person bringing their dog. And I was like, please do not let this rescue dog be out because there's so much energy. There's something going to happen. And she's like, I know I'm going to, she stuck to it. And they did bring her out on leash after about eight hours because she had to go potty and all that kind of stuff. And the other person kept her dog leashed because they knew they could trust this other person. They sat across the room from each other um, for about 10 minutes and then put the dogs away. So, you know, what was the point of this I was going to say? <laughs> I lost be my smart. point. Be oh, smart. be smart about it. Yeah. yeah, don't set your dogs up for failure. Oh, there we go. Well, you know, that was actually one of the notes that uh, Tim made for me is about we have these yeah. like unreasonable expectations that like all dogs are just going to all get I don't along. Know. And maybe it's because I just don't like that many humans <laughs> that I just think that like dogs aren't going to like that many other so, dogs. But I don't, I don't have know. Ten yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we had to be a little smarter about our expectations. About our, for yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are dogs who can thrive yeah, in that right. environment for sure. I mean, not, not all of my dogs are not terrible i have a couple who would do totally fine meandering around a backyard with lots of people and 
you know, I'm sure they would eat some unsavory things, but, um, (laughs) you know, some dogs are going to be okay with that. But again, this goes all the way back to just know your dog, right? I know some of my dogs would be cool with that situation and some, you know, 10 minutes in, I would be like, well, there's the bloodshed. Let's all go inside. And that being said as well, if, if that is the kind of dog that you thrive to have, Adopting a puppy who has not yet developed its personality is not the route you want to go. Um, I've seen it several times. Adoptions, these puppies, they're doing great. They hit about two years old and they're like, nope, I'm not for this anymore. So, yes, I was very extroverted as a teenager, but right. not as much now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, don't think that you're going to get this puppy and they're automatically going to always be this social being. They And so either you have to be prepared to conform to what this dog turns into, much like children, and that's normal. Or you find an adult dog who is more stable in their personality. Yeah, I mean, I always say, like, I will take a two- or three-year-old dog that's potty trained yeah. and I know what to expect over a puppy any day. Like, I have no desire to ever have a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. but yet you have plenty of them at your house right now (laughs) and so we've talked a lot about once you have this kind of situation in your house it's a lot of responsibility on the owner some people might not be up for the challenge right and i think that that's okay it is it It might not be popular i'm very unpopular in the rescue world sometimes with my opinions on that yeah (laughs) because you know you gotta you know you gotta be realistic about how you know keeping yourself safe about living your life about keeping this dog safe and you know when we ended up with that dog her name was lola we ended up (laughs) with lola you know it was never our intention to keep her in the first place but we weren't doing any kind of formal uh rescue we were just kind of a good samaritan like now what do we do and how do we rehome this dog and and you know and so we did um you know, we found this very lovely family and we did a couple meet and greets because they had a, a resident dog because we wanted to make sure it was going to be a good fit for them too, even though Tim and I were looking at each other like, oh God, we don't want this dog back. <laughs> and Please let this you go, know, okay? And that was, you know, we've never tried to really do a foster because, you know, we have a small house. It's not super conducive right. to, you know, having a lot of gates or having a lot, you know, and, and we were kind of like, yeah, this is our line. We're a two-dog household, but that's it you know so yeah so what are your thoughts especially being in the rescue world of like having to be like i'm interested if this is going to be different from what i'm going to say we have a we have a problem what do we do i am not 100 percent against rehoming i do not think that everybody is that person who can forever handle the situation that like nikki's set up with and i and myself um i do not have a positive thing to say for people who don't put some effort into it, um, those sort of things. Um, I am somebody who's had large bully breed dogs and had a child that completely changes things. Do I believe you have a kid and you should get rid of your dog? No, absolutely not. But some dogs were not made for children either. And you may not know that until you have a child and the dog is like, no, 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 no. And you really can't just get rid of the kids like that. <laughs> That's what they tell um, me. Yeah. That's so, why I don't so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there are some circumstances where if your house is a bloodbath and you've tried to get it under control and you just can't, is that the best thing for the dog? 
Absolutely not. Um, there are people who think a shelter is automatically a death sentence. Not always, but if you let your dog get to the point where they've had multiple aggressive issues, it is. Same with rescue. If, hey, this isn't working, we automatically, we go to a trainer, it's, it's just still not going to work, call your rescue that you got your dog from and see if they can help you. Um, a lot of times they will ask you to foster your dog until they can be rehomed. Um, but if you wait until it's a situation where this dog has now attacked five dogs, rescues have to carry insurance and they, they just can't do it. Um, so I'm not somebody who says anybody that rehomes a dog is a horrible person. I mean, there are some horrible who people are, out there. Yeah. Yes, right. Their animals are disposable. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like the, the amount of vilifying that happens to people who rehome dogs is just Unfair. horrible. It's awful. Horrible. Um, yeah. Not every dog is meant for every home. Uh, somebody, you know, or even somebody who says, you know, I, I, I really went out to get a dog who these are the things that I want to do with it. And my life is such that, you know, I can only manage, you know, one dog. And if that dog does not fit and you're going to be miserable and the dog is going to be miserable because you resent the dog and you're not going to do anything with it, then I think rehoming is the kinder thing to do. Correct. And I mean, even people who, you know, the, the people who don't put any effort in, right, at rehome, I think sometimes that <laughs> in the end, if that, that dog's probably better off anyway, yeah. Yeah. even yeah, though right. past judgment on the person because, you know, you just didn't want to put any effort in. But on the flip side of that, that person's probably also not going to give that dog a very good very life. Very true. Right. Um, so I think, you know, rehoming is very viable. Same thing. If you wait until your dog has, you know, attacked five dogs or bitten 10 people, you know, then good luck. You're not going to find somebody <laughs> Who wants that right. unless you lie, which people do <laughs> all um, the time. And, you know, and then if you can sleep with yourself in that liability, then, you know, I guess then you're, you do you. But um, I think just the rehoming is, is really just we kind of similar to the expectations we have of dogs is something that as a society, we really need to change the way that we look at that and be able to say, you know what, that dog is a, you know, it's like, you imagine if, if like everybody got stuck with their high school boyfriend forever <laughs> yeah, and, and ever. I was just going to say that. You know, Why is d- like, divorce is acceptable, but you know, rehoming like, a dog responsibly kind of like, is not. <laughs> so. it, you're, you have to go through, if you go through a couple, couple of partners to find the person who you mesh really well with, People would be very unhappy if we all had to live with partners who we did not mesh well with, right? Can I just tell you that my parents are high school sweethearts, and they're the only people that each other ever dated. So wow. they thought I was insane. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yep. I mean, like, not every – lots of people will be like that. And there's people – like, I mean, like, I have my two dogs. Like, if I really look back in retrospect – um, and look at the situation that I was in. When those two dogs started fighting, I was still very, very deep in the rescue mindset of people who rehome dogs are terrible, and it's my responsibility to take that to keep this dog. And I did not want to rehome either one. Um, in addition to the fact that I had seen that my pit could be kind of scary, and so I didn't really want to pass that liability onto someone else, even though it has meant, you know, 10 years of really intense management with two dogs. 
But really now, having known all the things that I know and all of the experience that I've had with them, if I could go back and talk to you know, Nikki, who's experiencing that for the beginning, I might say, hey, it would probably be better for everyone if you just place this dog. And then it got to a point where, you know, that's not really like an, an option. Um, and he's comfortable, you know, they're comfortable with living the life that they do. But I'm very fortunate that I have the space and time to provide that stuff for them. And I think if you are not going to be able to keep two dogs who can't be together or, you know, give them adequate time out and adventuring and doing stuff that rehoming is absolutely viable. I think the biggest point is don't get a dog if you know you can't handle a dog. I mean, things can change, but like really think about it. Like, But I, I, but I also think the crate and rotate is what like, you don't know getting that second dog a lot of times that's, that's going to happen. And I will tell you that, Crate and rotate's not for everybody. It's there's, hard. there's, it's, it's hard, and it's very we, disciplined. It's very disciplined, it and we shouldn't expect people to do that because a lot of times people either buy or adopt a dog because they want companions and they want. They're not living in a fairy tale land, but they want their dogs to 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 like each other, and they don't. And when they don't, and if it's been from a rescue and the situation's going to go down and management's going to fail, then the dog needs, the dog should be rehomed at that point. Mm-hmm. If it's a dog that's from a breeder, do you contact the breeder? A very good, responsible breeder will yes. take back dogs that they've placed. Um, I think with the exception of it's probably very similar. I mean, I don't have personal experience with it, but I would imagine it's similar to with rescue, where if you contact that breeder after three years and you're like, we've let him you know, run free and he's been a bunch of people and they've had a bunch of fights, the breeder might be like, well, sorry. What do you want? What are they going to do with the dog? What do you want me to do with that? They're going to just start keeping all these dogs. In general, a a good breeder will usually take back or help you find, um, help you with that. Correct. Um, I've also told people, you know, I've had some people who've had two dogs who are not getting along and I, and I'll say to them, why did you get the second dog? If you got the second dog because you had, you know, visions in your head of your first dog having a fun playmate and they hate each other then you know it might be more fair to say hey rescue this this is not working out the way that i wanted my first dog really hates having a housemate and it's not fair to him to force him to share that space you know whatever so i've I've encouraged people to really look at why did you get the second dog right so like for me i had those two dogs I didn't get those two dogs to be each other's friends. I got them to do sports and companionship things with me, and I can do those things separately with them, and so we did not rehome. But if I had got them to be best friends and we wanted to, you know, hike hike together, like everybody go riding in the Jeep on Sundays all in one big group and loose, then that's not going to be viable for our lifestyle, and one or both dogs will end up kind of being neglected is a strong word, but they're going to miss out. Right. That's better better than neglect. They're very responsible ways to rehome your dog that are not going to um, end them into a a bad situation. You know, you see all these people on social media saying, oh, my gosh, don't rehome the dog. You have to ask a $75 rehoming fee so it will go to a good home. And they're, you know, contacting rescue. There are um, other... Um, community programs out there that can help and you know even if a rescue can't 
take the dog, they can usually give you some advice on responsible ways to do it. Um, but also keeping your home in complete shambles because you think that shelters are the devil is yes. is not okay. Yeah. yeah, And we know rescues that are, for the most part, responsible. There are some rescues out there that will bully you into keeping or the shame, dog like or shame, shame you. you. And, and there are people out there that will shame you. Haters going to hate. They are. I mean, unfortunately, that's the society we live in. But we kind of have to push that aside sometimes when, especially if the situation is dangerous. Yes. On the flip side of that, don't email the rescue and say, because I, I did, I was a coordinator for, for owner surrender for a rescue for a while. And man, people are mean. People would email and say, you know, I need to surrender my dog today. Yeah. yeah and I would say, yeah. good luck. Okay. Well, we cannot help you. Yeah. And the emails I got back would be things, Correct. you are the reason this dog is going to die. Right. Yeah. You yes. are the reason this dog is going to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not, but thanks for trying to <laughs> ruin my day. So I think rescues, bullying, yes. and owners, it goes, bo- yeah, it goes both, ways. both ways. It does. And it's rare. I think it's not rare. It's not often that you'll, I'll be on the, the, the voice of also don't bully the, the rescues, but... You know, having been in the the person who got all those emails, I think just <laughs> be nice. I think it's a sensitive topic a for everybody. You know, I got like five emails a day that people would say, "It's your fault. This dog has no home," and I'm like, "It's definitely not." But okay. Um, and then, because in this topic, I feel it's important to mention this: is there are dogs out there who are not going to fit into any home or belong in our human society. Yes. Uh, and it, it is a hard topic um, for me, particularly, because I have been there. And so, you know, I'm just kind of like looking at our notes and talking about if management's not an option and rehoming, that there are dogs out there who are not going to fit in any of those boxes, um, who aren't safe to be handled, um, or, you know, a dog who maybe is causes the family to be, you know, prisoners to the life with that dog, right? Somebody who, oh, only I can handle this dog. You're never going to go away on a trip or be, be hospitalized for, for 15 years um, where someone else might have to care for that dog. And I think that that's an important just topic to Been there myself. consider. Um, and that would be, you know, behavioral so you, euthanasia, okay, right? Yeah. Um, it's not a light decision, obviously, but it's a really important one to me. And so I always feel like just when you're talking about, you know, if you have a dog who is truly dangerous and has to live this life of complete, you know, isolation, it's just not, you know, like, I mean, we, we had a dog who we were going on a trip and I was, my husband and I were discussing all these ways. How could we make it safe for someone to care for this dog? We could buy an enclosure that has an indoor and outdoor run so that they can shut her in the inside so they can clean and feed. I mean, that is <laughs> like, it's just expecting people to live like that, I think is a lot. And so when we get to rescues vilifying people or people vilifying people for rehoming dogs, you know, unless you've walked that path, I think it's very hard to understand. Um, but it's an important one to Absolutely. put out there and talk about because it's not a... And shelters are also not horrible for having to make that decision i mean these are humans who love the animals that is not what they want to happen but 
you know, nobody wants to adopt a dog out to somebody who is going to attack a human, a child, another dog. And humane euthanasia is, I mean, is is that a more comfortable thing than, you know, dying in a dog fight? Or just living this life of never going anywhere or doing anything because you just can't, you know, function in, in the world. So, you know, not to just smash our no well thank you for levity that up. but i think it's an important thing to just when you're thinking it's about not talked about enough it's very taboo so let's talk a little bit about dog dog aggression versus like dog human aggression because to me they can be very different things you know there's dogs that might not do well with other dogs but they always get along with people okay but then there are sometimes that are just very dogs that are very reactive to anyone to anything <laughs> including you know uh children or adults or uh do you look at those as two different things or, or how do you view that i definitely think they're different i mean that's it's just a personality you know personality differences in knowing your dog um i mean there's plenty of dogs I, without the risk of seeming like judging on breed. But right when we have breeds out there who are chosen for, you know, being overly gregarious to people or, you know, chosen for, you know, not redirecting on people, but being aggressive to small animals or, or other dogs. I mean, it could be really, it's the whole, you know, a lot of like terriers, right. And we want, you know, to use like a more like, Jack Russell's maybe you want them to hunt and kill small vermin, vermin right? Like Rats, stuff, right? right? But does it do me any good to select for dogs who, when they're doing that, when I go to remove them, they try to eat me for taking them away from that prey? No. So they're going to be selected to be more tolerant of people handling them. Does that mean that there's not individuals of that type or breed out there who aren't one way, you know, the other way? No. But um, it's they're definitely very divergent i think Uh, dogs can be totally great with all other dogs and you know terrified or aggressive to people or vice versa yeah they don't go hand in hand if that's kind of what you're saying too i mean yeah Yeah. it doesn't mean just because your dog is dog aggressive doesn't mean it's going to bite a child um you know that having both is rare um it does happen but there's a lot more dog aggression out there than there is i believe I could be wrong. Human aggression. And it, I, it's not even as cut and dry as dog aggression. I, I have a dog who does not do well with adult dogs, but has fostered puppies her whole life and loves puppies, loves loves one-pound kittens. Um, I don't put her in a position to deal with adult dogs. But on the other hand, she has killed several raccoons. Like, those are... <laughs> wow. There's... That's there's impressive. A, there's a whole <laughs> Raccoons list. Raccoons are ferocious. There's a whole list of animals that <laughs> animal control knows her by name. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean dog, you know, the dog is dog aggressive. It might be different right. kinds of right. pup, aged, yeah. you know, humans. It made somebody they don't like kids versus adults. Right. So. I think it's very individualized. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just like people, you know, I mean, not everybody gets along with everyone they meet or, you know or people who are really introverted might not get along with people who are super gregarious. I have a border collie who does pretty okay with dogs who generally leave her alone. But if I put her out with a, you know, body slamming 
lab, like she's going to eat that dog, <laughs> right? She does not want anything to do with that dog, right? But she'll get along fine with usually other herding breed dogs who are happy to kind of just coexist in the same space. So I think it's really... So it's like, is she dog aggressive? Right. Like, right. She's, she's not... Good. Right. I would call her... She's not dog aggressive. I would right. call her selective. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. it's just a, a really wide spectrum and every individual is going to have a different level right. of where they fall there. Because yeah. um, she's this... I mean, <laughs> same dog. Same kind of way with people, right? Gets along with adults really pretty well unless they're overly rude and trying to kiss her in the face um not a fan of I children don't like that either. right <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but she's not a fan of children and i think that has to do with their they're not predictable right so it's similar it's the, almost the same as with dogs she doesn't like an unpredictable dog or an unpredictable human right she wants them to just she wants to know what you're going to be doing and know how to expect it a lot of it's just like humans. Um, like my dog doesn't like adult dogs because she doesn't like to be told what to do. Or she is the boss of puppies. They're not going to tell her what to do. So she wants to be the boss. And if you think about it in your daily life, there are those those people that are going to get along with everybody fine if they're the boss. Right. What are you trying to say, Nicole? <laughs> So that'll do it for part one of our roundtable on what to do if your dog gets into a dog fight. And uh, next week, I'll come back with part two. Um, in part two, we're going to discuss more about the emotional impact that we as pet parents can feel when we've had a dog fight in our house. And uh, we're also going to talk some about what to do if you're out and about in the world trying to walk your dog and, and run into a situation where now there's a loose dog coming at you and, and how to protect your dog and yourself in that kind of situation. So thank you, of course, to Diana, to Nikki, and to Nicole. We'll have them all back again next week. And also special thanks to Chuck Nunn, who is my audio engineer extraordinaire. He, uh, anytime I've ever asked him for, for help, he always makes time in his schedule, brings his equipment. And Chuck, I appreciate you very, very much. I love doing these roundtable episodes, but I literally could not physically do it without him. <laughs> So thanks so much, everyone. Remember, you can find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook, at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores on Instagram. And you can always email me anytime, Erin, at Believe in Dog Podcast. And um, we'll be back next week with part two. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.